Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. Here's what to look out for on the ringer.com this week. Mark Titus is covering the College Basketball National Player of the Year candidates, and Zach Cram is writing about Steph Curry and his legendary start to the season. You can check it all out on TheRinger.com. Welcome to the Heat Check Podcast. I'm your host, John Gonzalez, joined as I am every week by the incomparable. The incomparable. The, wow. incompar- the excellent Isaac Isley. Isaac, over the weekend, I went to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. They hosted the Toronto Raptors. It did not go well. Yes. And it occurred to me that you were quite delighted by it. You, you were delighted in Slack. You were delighted on Twitter. You're delighted in our texts. And I was wondering, the previous week when the Clippers were throttling one Austin Rivers, you were pretty excited about that. Yes. What, what makes you more excited, when the Clippers play well or when the Lakers don't? Uh, I think it's equal. I think it's uh, <laughs> two sides of the same coin. Right. Uh, I feel an immense amount of schadenfreude when the Lakers are bad. And obviously, I love watching my team succeed. But I think specifically when the Lakers have high expectations, the Lakers exceptionalism, mm-hmm. and that is let down by the Lakers themselves, that's probably the highest point of schadenfreude. A couple of things here. One, I love that you feel equal amounts of joy uh, when your team plays well is when the Lakers don't. I also really enjoy the way that you pronounce schadenfreude. I generally don't do the Freude because like, I feel like putting on the German airs is a little bit much, but I like your affectation there. It's almost guttural. Did you, did you, did you take uh, German at some point? <laughs> no, no, no. I took linguistics. But I, Okay, uh, good enough. I, when I learned a word, that's how they taught me to say it. What am I going to do? I'm <laughs> I, sorry if I sound pretentious. No. I like it. We try to appeal to the upper crust of NBA fans here at, here at Heat Check. We've got all kinds of good stuff for you on today's program. I think it's going to be a good one. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please rate and review us and uh, all of our fantastic Ringer NBA shows and pods, if you wouldn't mind. We also have lots of great content on the Ringer. KOC has a pretty good, interesting piece about Fultz. And not even just pretty good, very good piece. And super interesting about Fultz and Gordon Hayward and those two teams trying to do sort of a delicate balancing act of the Sixers bringing those guys along now with the hope that they'll pay off a little bit later. Brian Curtis wrote a piece about the politics of NBA players and whether they're sufficiently active, which is a germane piece considering the election is on Tuesday. We want to urge everybody to get out to the polling place and vote. And uh, Paolo Escoblog was at the Lakers game with me. He had a really good piece about the Raptors making quite the sales pitch to Kawhi Leonard in LA. Kawhi didn't even play, so he just got to sit there and watch the Raptors throttle the Lakers. And uh, Paolo makes a lot of good points in his piece, so you want to go and check that out. Later in the show, we will have Justin Verrier on the program to talk about The problem with playing defense in an era of offensive explosions. We also did a group post called Real or Not Real. We'll get into that with Varrier. Haley O'Shaughnessy will also be here. Haley's been killing it. She's had a whole bunch of really good stories lately, so we're just going to rattle through all of those. She had one about Embiid and the real estate he owns and the heads of other players. Derek Rose and the narrative attached to him when he scored that 50-point game and some of the things that other media outlets, not us, but other ones, conveniently left out. And uh, how to be a good teammate for LeBron, that's particularly Jermaine right now, considering that uh, the things aren't going necessarily all that well for the Lakers. Which brings us to the first topic. I mean, last week, Isaac, we started with drama, and I didn't want to yeah. do drama again. But how could we avoid the drama here with the Lake Show, 10 games in, two games under 500, throttled at home with the Kawhi-less Lakers? We got to start there. And for that, 
we need a special guest. Boom shakalaka! He's heating up! He's on fire! All right, joining me in the studio, one of the originals, one of my favorites... The original, really, frankly. It's Julia Littman. She's here. She's sitting Hi. across from me. It's Monday. She's bright-eyed. I'm confused about why you're wearing a warrior shirt. Uh, so when I go on, one, it's very comfortable. Okay. I like I like the design. It's the town shirt for people who can't see you, which is everyone. Yeah, and it's uh, one of the, like, the material is like that sure. vintage yes. not pure cotton, but it's like... A blended cotton. It's a blended. Uh, so I like the feel of it. It looks cool. But so when I go on road trips for the ringer.com mm-hmm. to cover sure. various NBA concerns, I generally get a t-shirt that I think looks cool oh, I see. from that city. So I have a whole okay. smattering of t-shirts. I buy mugs. You buy t-shirts. I buy t-shirts. In fact, I was wearing a, I have a, like a whole host of different shirts. One of them is a Knicks shirt that's like bright orange that I think is very cool. But obviously I'm from Philly. I'm not a Knicks fan. I just like the shirt. And I saw somebody... Uh, at the supermarket in Santa Monica where I live and he was like yeah next and he wanted to give me a fist bump and I'm like yeah dude I can't I can't fist bump you I just like the shirt and then there it was like this big thing about why I wouldn't fist bump this guy just because I was wearing he was a he was a big <laughs> Knicks fan but I draw okay. the I draw the line at the fashion Got I can't it. be party to your to your partisanship <laughs> all right are we talking about the Lakers or what <laughs> sorry I derailed us it's like you're hosting again. This is Sorry, great. I don't know. I don't know any other way. Getting us back on track. Uh, yes, we're talking about the Lakers. They had a, a pretty awful Sunday. Uh, they the first quarter was the worst in terms of margin in Lakers history. Uh, Serge Ibaka had a career high 34, uh, 34 points in the win for the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors absolutely smacked them, which wasn't that great because Kawhi Leonard wasn't on the floor for the Raptors. So for the Lakers, they go to Portland, Juliet, on uh, Saturday. They win, barely. They snap a 16-game losing streak. And in Portland. In Portland. And so it was this thing where like, it had come on the heels of the Woj report saying that Magic Johnson had a meeting with Luke Walton on Tuesday that, quote, reverberated through the Lakers organization and the pressures on the coach to win sooner than later. So they win that game. It seems like it takes a little bit of heat off of, uh, off of Luke. And then they get absolutely throttled by the Toronto Raptors at home. Tough. Not a good look. Very tough. When you're making Serge Ibaka look like the trade piece that he was once was, it's mm-hmm. a problem. Yeah. So Paolo has a piece about that on the ringer.com saying like, this is a good sales pitch to Kawhi <laughs> Leonard where you can come in and go, why would you want to go to the Lakers when we're better than the Lakers without you? It's true. It's dysfunctional already. It is dysfunctional already. So, so it was interesting Sunday. So I was at the game and of course, there was a ton of questions. There's just countless media. I keep waiting for the crowds to thin out, and it's not thinning out. It's yeah, like, I know. It's everybody who has ever carried a notebook or a recorder or a pen and covers the NBA is just here now all I the went, time. I went to one game. I went to Nuggets Lakers mm-hmm. um, like a week and a half ago, and it was electric. It was a, it was a yeah. feeling in Staples that I have not experienced before because I never went to like a Kobe Shaq game or, or even like the 2010 Lakers. Like yeah. I never went to a game of like that. It was great. Like it was also just really like the security was tighter. Like yep. the fanfare was greater. It was awesome. It's a production. Yes. And so because of all the Luke stuff, there were a ton of media members like trying to sniff stuff out. 
And as it turns out, the LA Times sort of cornered Magic Johnson. Now, uh, knowing how the sausage gets made here, I, I'm going to guess that it wasn't that hard for Magic sure. to get cornered considering what he revealed to the LA Times. And what the uh, quote was from the Times, and this is from Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times, she said, Magic Johnson said his contentious meeting with Luke Walton had no bearing on Walton's job security. Quote, I said it, Luke took it, and we're all good. Johnson assured us Walton will finish the year. So a couple of things about that. One, finish the year, like being a little bit of a skeptic. Like, yeah. year The year ends in December. That's true. The season goes longer. I didn't think of it that way. I think about all these things that way. But then Plashke, Plashke columnist for the LA Times, you see him on Around the Horde and all that stuff. He put in part of the quote that Tanya left out, which was, he's going to finish the season, dot, 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 unless something drastic happens, which it won't. This is never going away. No. I also just want to say, um, interesting that two reporters from the same outlet like uh, picked that quote up in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> That's problematic editing, in my opinion. Um, well, the, when the I initially saw Tanya's first. Same. And I thought to myself, okay, uh, so this is obviously clearly damage control by by magic. He went out and he, and he slapped Luke on the wrist and yeah. he's getting impatient already, even though he said he's not going to get impatient and that was inevitable. And so they wanted to do a little damage control. And, oh, you want to talk to me? Sure, I'll let you corner me in the hallway by the locker room before the game starts after a win, right? Oh, we're all good. Kumbaya. But yes, then I saw Plashke's part and I was like, oh, so yeah, he's giving himself so much wiggle room there. It's it's true. It's like there's the, the goalposts are shifting within his one sentence, basically. How... A couple of things here. So, like at the beginning of the season, before 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 the season even began, before training camp even began, Magic and Rob had this um, uh, media availability where they were like, "Hey, you know, we love our team. Uh, we think the pieces are really good. We think we're really deep. Luke's going to figure it out. We're going to give him some time." Yeah. Did you ever buy that even for a second? I kind of did. I just feel like Luke Walton. I mean, he's part of the Lakers family, I guess. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I mean, not only did he play for them, but also his father. Like, sure. He's like, you know, a part of the fabric of the organization. So like anyone would get the benefit of the doubt. It would be him. But I was reading um, the athletics report on this, which was by Sam uh, Amick yeah. from the weekend. And he was saying like, um, during Luke Walton's like greatest triumph, which was going thirty nine and four with the Warriors while Steve Kerr was injured, it's like they were they had already won a championship, they had a system in place, which I assume we'll come back to, and it was like you know it's just not the same thing. Like I, I think there's like two things in place there. Like one, I I think coaching is overrated. I think that um, talented players who uh, have like the right mindset like will make it work, and I think it's a lot more like ego management than like quote unquote system. Yeah. Um, and two, like it's just like not comparable to go with a championship winning team <laughs> that didn't that wasn't like relying on several second year players and this Lakers team. Like that's just that's just not the same thing. But I think the main thing with Luke is that um, obviously LeBron changed everything. Sure, but like and a few articles have pointed out, it's like hard to put LeBron in a system. It's I don't. It's not impossible. We saw it in Miami, and like yeah, LeBron's like a different player than he was in Miami, and like it, it was obviously a very, very different team. But so much of it is ego management, and like Luke is just maybe not the right person to work with LeBron in that sense. I mean, when we talk about the system, though, like what exactly the the system that the Lakers are are trying? I mean, yes, they're running a lot more than than LeBron probably. They have no like shooting. Thirty three years old would probably want to run, but it makes sense with the players that they have. Yes, they could use more shooting, but it's 
pass, find the open guy, yeah. sh- you know, run, 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 try to score and get to the rim. The defense has really been the problem. The issue, I think that's interesting because in his first year, the Lakers were not a good defensive team. In his second year, they made a pretty significant jump into the middle of the pack from the back of the pack. Yeah. And now this year, as Verrier, and he's going to be on the program a little bit later, as Verrier and everybody else who's watched even a second of the NBA knows, nobody's playing defense yeah. right now. So it's been really difficult. So I think that there's like... When you say that 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 coaching is sort of overrated, I go like, what exactly does does Magic expect Luke to yeah. presto change here? Sure, sure, and like so much of it just has to be like working with LeBron. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it's just when you have LeBron on your team, particularly veteran LeBron, like it's not like you can just impose a system. It's more about like, okay, how do I work with LeBron to figure out a system that we're both on the same page with? And like, is that an appealing job? Someone like Luke Walton? I don't know. Probably not. He was like running the team, and then he has to like figure out how to make it work with LeBron. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess like there's the hope of winning a championship, but they're obviously not going to. So Not now, but no. if you can weather this and stick around for a second, then I think you're all right. Now, the question is whether or not he can pull that off because this is going to be one of those situations. I mean, like I just think about that, the plashy component where it's like, unless something drastic happens, right? right? Like a like, It's just such a massive fucking hole that you could drive a truck through about, like, this is going to linger all season long. Had they, think about this, had they, they almost blew that game in Portland. Yes. Right? Yeah. So coming off of all the palace intrigue, the Kremlinology, right? All the, all the stuff that happened with like magic sitting him down and talking to him and supposedly yelling at him and cutting him off and all this stuff. Had they blown that game? Right. And then lost to the Raptors? Maybe he'd be out. <laughs> now we're off to the fucking races. Then like, they'd be two and seven instead of three and five. Or they'd be two and six instead of three and five. They're four and six. Four and six. So right. they'd be they'd be three and seven. Right. That's bad. That's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in the small sample size theater, that's way worse. <laughs> it is. Um I I don't feel like LeBron's trying very hard, which is like fine because he also didn't try very hard for parts of his four seasons in Cleveland. Or three seasons, yeah, four, four seasons in Cleveland. But it's he doesn't have the supporting cast in, in the same way to do that. Like he can't really like. There's obviously no Kyrie. There's not even. Uh, but this year's, I would say you're right. Like in the Kyrie iterations, sure, stipulated. In last year's iteration, he brought he carried two versions of dog shit teams all season sure. long. The first one with Jay Crowder and. Uh, D. Rose and Isaiah Thomas for 15 games and they had to jettison everybody and then they brought in a, a bunch of other guys who sucked and he carried them on his back and car- played the most minutes played all sure. 82 games like I look at this Lakers team supporting cast and I go he's got more talent this year than he did last year yeah. now they're in the West so it makes it more complicated I just think like that is a big factor though right huge huge factor no like, doubt about think it think about how many games this team could steal in the Eastern Conference like against the Hawks against the Magic they need to relocate the Nets yeah, they need to like, move the Lakers to the Eastern let's Conference let's just change up the league for our own purposes I basically. like it it would be excellent content I just think like when I look at this team and I, and I get like we should have all known from the very beginning that the idea of like Magic and Rob going sure yeah no we know it's going to be a process and there's been times when LeBron said that like I know what I got myself into you know it's going to take a second but it, there's really no universe where like LeBron and I, and this is like not really about LeBron it's more about the the front office there's no universe where the Lakers organization that expects and demands exceptionalism mm-hmm. adds in LeBron James and goes sure yeah take your time 
Like, I, I can't believe I even considered it for a, a, like a quarter of a second, a nanosecond, sure. that they would be like, yeah, 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 we'll be patient. Of course they were not going to be patient. Right. And I want, like, like there's got to be some mirrors in the El Segundo training facility, right? Like, doesn't Magic <laughs> look at this and go, oh, shit, yeah, I put this roster together. And, like, getting LeBron's great and all, but you add in, like, JaVale's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. I want to, like, sort of put JaVale off to the side here. But you add in Rondo and Lance and Beasley and then you're all going to, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, it's on Luke. Sure. I know. I mean, it's not really fair. And then, like, where do you stand on Lonzo right now? Is he good or is he bad? He's a real Rorschach test for what kind of basketball fan you are. I, okay. So I look at all four of their their young guys, and I would say, like, if you're going to say who's been the most consistent, best of the Kuzma, Ingram, Hart, ball group, yeah. it's been Kuzma. Yeah. Kuzma's been their best guy so far. Ingram had the suspension and was um, inconsistent. I love Josh Hart. I yeah. think he's going to be really good. It's a lot of control. He's been a little hit or miss. And Lonzo, too, super hit or miss. And I look at those four guys and I go, on paper, they're young. They've, they've got talent. They've just been so inconsistent. So, like, where am I? Depends on the night. Yeah. I think part of the problem with Lonzo is also, like, what kind of player does he want to be? And do they want him to be? Because mm. sometimes... When he's shooting, you're like, oh, right. Like, he was supposed to be a great shooter. That's exciting. And then sometimes he's really great on defense. But he doesn't really have, like, a clear identity on the court yet. And I think that makes it hard to use him. It's true for all all of them. Kuzma, I think, has been the best because he has the clearest identity to the team. Yeah, I mean, they need need some scoring. And he's running out there. And he's got a, a, you know, he's relatively big body, although playing him at the five is a fucking disaster, which is why they had to go and bring in Tyson Chandler. He grew a lot over the summer, huh? He's a large human. Yeah. I mean, he could he could like thicken up a sure. little bit, but he's still a kid. I mean, if you want someone to thicken up, let's get Brandon Ingram a few sandwiches. <laughs> they all need sandwiches. Yeah. We should we should get them all sandwiches. Where are you before we move? Because we we talk talk a lot of Lakers and we write a lot of Lakers and we have other teams to discuss. We're in but LA. We are in LA. Also, you can't really talk enough Lakers when it's LeBron and the Lakers. Together, uh, there's just so many storylines. And again, it's not going away. None of this is going away. Like, no, I, should it? I know that people get frustrated about, like, you know, the the uh, preponderance of Lakers discussions and coverage. But good luck. I mean, it's like the Warriors. They're not going away anytime soon in terms of uh, what we're discussing. But where are you? Like, 10 games in, best bet, what are the Lakers going to do? How, how are they going to, what's the season going to look like? Is Luke going to make it? What's your best bet? It's very hard to bet against LeBron. Like, I always regret it. Mm -hmm. However, I think they miss the playoffs when Luke gets fired. It's a fire take. (laughs) You're on heat check. You came in hot. I love it. Uh, I go go one of two. I go, it's going to be, like, if I had to bet on Luke, I think it's going to be difficult for him to survive the season. You know, Magic's comments notwithstanding. Uh, I don't bet against LeBron. I think they'll make the playoffs. Okay. They'll squeeze in. There's eight teams. He's going to make it. All right. Uh, from LeBron's current team to his old team, talking about things that are up in the air. The Cavs cannot get out of their own way. Cleveland.com had a story saying, uh, disharmony, the headline was, disharmony builds following the worst loss of the season they fell to the Hornets. J.R. Smith came out and said the team is in a very weird place right now. Larry Drew was uh, sort of like in the interim head coach thing and was like, "Ah, I don't know, you don't need to call me the interim head coach. If you want to put me back on the bench, I'm... I'm fine with that. Apparently, they fired Lou in part because he ignored a directive from the front office to play the young guys over J.R. Smith. And this is the quote from the story that I really found interesting. Kobe Altman recently sat down with Smith because of what was perceived as poor body language and a change in attitude. It was the negative shift that led Kobe Altman asking if Smith even wanted to be around the team. 
The goal there was to protect the players and keep any bad juju away. Uh, and then JR responded to that by giving a quote that said, no one knows what they're supposed to be doing other than the vets. This is JR Smith, the same JR Smith who created one of the most famous memes in, uh, in, in NBA history in the finals last year when he was completely lost. The Cavs are a mess. A mess. A, a glorious mess. A mess. It's sad. I mean, it's, it's also like, this is what happens when you take, when you take out the best player. Um, yeah, uh, it's a bummer. Also, Kevin Love, he's now injured and mm-hmm. he's rehabbing in New York, which is like, I guess, more common than people realize that, that you do your rehab not in the city where you're playing, but sure. like where you can get the best treatment. But like, that just seems like a, like a blessing for him. He's like, he doesn't have to be near the team and he can, <laughs> he can be free. Yeah. Um, they're a total mess. And then the Cleveland.com story. Really tough look for Colin Sexton. Not a good look for Colin Sexton. No. Uh, too many twos, low assist rate, high turnovers. He looks lost out there. Doesn't know how to play defense. But, but there was like in turn in the same way that I don't like. I wonder about the expectations that the Lakers had and like whether or not they're reasonable from sure. the front office on down. Right. Like in the Cleveland story, and also there was an athletic story that sort of um, said the exact same things at the same time. So clearly, there's a lot going yeah. on in Cleveland. But it was basically like. Cleveland thought it could compete this season. Right. Which and I'm is, like, compete with what? I think some people thought that, though. Like, I think preseason, like, even here at the Ringer, people are like, yeah, Cleveland can sneak into the playoffs. Like, they still have Kevin Love. They still have Kyle Korver, a good shooter. still have, like, J.R. Smith or whatever. But there's, the, like, back to the earlier conversation, their system was, like, LeBron finding people and, and J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver hitting threes, basically. Yeah. And Tristan Thompson offensive rebounding. Like, they actually didn't have a system. And so then when Ty Lue was, like, asked to pl- to play the young guys, and there was no, there's nothing to plug them into. You know what I mean? They're kind of, like, starting over from scratch. Yeah, you like, go ahead, play Chetty Osman, I guess. It's fine. Um, but I think it, it also just sort of gets back to, like, it's a superstars league. Like a system works when you're plugging in the best players or like one of the five best players with supporting people around him. Like it's a solar system. It's not like just a constellation of stars. That's an excellent analogy. Thanks. I, I enjoy that quite a bit. Uh, metaphor, one of those. Here's the part that that I, I really like thought was also interesting because we have like a, a bunch of people at the ringer who, sure. who might have thought that the Cavs could compete this year. I was not among them. Uh, <laughs> evidently, Kyle Korver and Kevin Love were potentially also not among them because they were told repeatedly, according to these reports, that the plan was to compete. However, they thought that if they didn't compete, that they would be traded. And this is a quote from the story. A number of players, including Love and Korver, were told repeatedly the plan was to compete. When James left in free agency, Korver actually asked the Cavs to trade him and that was the deal he thought he had the organization upon resigning in 2017 and wanted to happen in July. So, like, he's told, hey, we're going to compete. And then LeBron leaves and he's like, okay, I'll, I thought you were going to trade me. And now he's on this team stock and loves rehabbing. And, like, Sucks. they're completely screwed and it's a complete tire fire. It really is. Where do you think Kyle Korver should go? Where would he be best used? I mean, the Sixers could use some That's shooting. True. Like, not to, like, Tough default times. to my usual, yeah. but... They could use some scoring and some shooting, and they don't have much of it beyond J.J. Redick. It's kind of, there's definitely like an existential crisis for... The Lakers could use some. That's true. He'd be good on the Lakers. Uh, and he's like such a California person. Um, there's like an existential crisis in the league, I think, where like there's parity in that there's like either you have a chance or you don't. And just sort of like, what's the point if you if you don't? Is that a, ter- a terrible way to put it? Is that too <laughs> is that too bleak for a Monday morning? You're so existential this morning. I really I'm sorry. like it. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. What is this all about anyway? Um, but like, what is the point for the for the Cavs? The reason they want to compete, right, is, is for like extra money that you get from being in the playoffs. Like, it's important for a smaller team to make the playoffs. Got, they're for, just holding out hope until the All-Star game arrives in, in 2022. 2022. It's going to be a great time. Uh, last drama point to hit with you. Uh, we've talked about them, I think, every single show so far Great. on Heat Check. We've got to throw it out there one more time just because they completely uh, uh, keep cratering. The Wolves the wolves are still out there doing Wolves things. Jimmy Butler, it was reported that he might not play back-to-backs. Well, he didn't play in an absolute blowout in Portland. They're going to play again tonight as you're listening to this. It says uh, He says, you know, I'll let them know. I'll let them know when I'm going to play. I'll let them know how my body feels. He got pissy with the media for asking about it. He's still how can there. You get pissy for the media when you do all this for media theatrics. Like, come on, Jimmy Butler. He calculated his return and had ESPN cover the whole bit and tip them off Ridiculous. to it. And then he's like, huh, I can't believe you would ask me about this. I, I don't know. I mean, I really, I love Jimmy Butler's game. I'm really souring on Jimmy of Butler. Of course. This yeah. is this is intolerable behavior. It's like like it's ridiculous. Um I just have a couple of thoughts. One Please. one is Adam Silver was like I think that teams and players should on their contracts. Mm-hmm. Great lawyerly response from the lawyer in charge Adam Silver. But this gets at something that I think came up like in whispers last year which is like could the Spurs sue Kawhi? The Wolves should sue Jimmy Butler for being in breach of contract. <laughs> it would like kind of be interesting. I, it also would set a precedent of like how this can be done. Like this is this is in my opinion it would be bad for the league. The league wouldn't like it, but like it should move towards legal action because that will like decide like a precedent of how these things can be handled. Law and order NBA is what we need. <laughs> we need that. That's got to dis- happen. I'm the discipline candidate. You know, <laughs> dust them all, dust them all off, and bring them out. Um, I like. I don't know. Part at the beginning of the season, I I and Chris was yelling at me about this because I was like, I want all of it. I want Jimmy to be on this team for the entire season. Yeah. I want them to infight because I like a storyline and I like drama and it's great for entertainment because I don't play for the Wolves. What do I care? I'm already starting to rethink that position. I don't know if I could make it through a whole season of Jimmy Butler going, I don't know if I'm gonna play back to backs. I'm not I'm gonna get pissy with the media about it. I hate all my teammates, you know. And we're just doing this in perpetuity for the rest of the year. At some point, it's going to be less entertaining than I anticipated. Yeah. And it's getting there almost. It's also just dist- a distraction. I, do you think the Wolves make the playoffs? I don't know. That's a good question. There's so many bubble teams in the, in the West. It's very The West unclear. is one giant bubble. Yeah. Because right now, like the line of demarcation at the very end, the Thunder are starting to play better. You've got the Jazz who have sort of been hit or miss. The Pelicans got off to a hot start. They've since fallen off. They've lost five in a row. The Timberwolves are uh, two games under. You've got the Lakers. The Ro- like all the, a lot of the teams that I thought would be above that playoff line yeah. are below, and I I still anticipate that they'll course correct. So you got to figure the Kings will fall off, the Grizzlies will fall off, um, Isaac earmuffs. I'm not sure about the Clippers. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's one giant bubble. I guess it makes it kind of interesting. Sure. And did you see that Bazalik is going back to the Rockets? He's coming out of retirement. This is what they needed. Yeah. This is the thing that they needed as the catalyst to propel them back into the playoffs in the top tier of the Western Conference. What an indictment of Mike D'Antoni. Poor Mike. Is is it? Whatever. He gets so much credit. He's going to be looked back on as like a visionary as like for seven seconds or less or whatever. It's- yeah, he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. He's an underrated coach. Uh, he's he, gets, ra- he won coach of the year last year he's, he's a properly rated he's coach properly rated. it's properly rated coach yeah. but they're going to course correct and it's going to be fun uh, Juliet Lemon is this a source to say week I'm yes a, it is it's a source to say on week on Wednesday that's my favorite week source to say is back on Wednesday you've got jam session you've got all kinds of things you're running around you're in meetings you're running the place 
too much going on. In fact. So much going on. Thank you for stopping Thanks in for on Heat me. Check. It's great to have you back. Talk to you later. All right. All right, that was Juliette Lippman. We love when she comes through to uh, do another Heat Check reunion. And next up, we've got Justin Verrier. Boom, shakalaka! He's heating up. He's on fire! All right, joining me in the studio, senior NBA editor. Uh, also, you can hear him on group chat on Thursdays. He's and He was just on Simmons, Justin Verrier. Hi, friends. You're everywhere. Uh, you've written all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to talk about our group post, Real or Not Real, in just a second, which I'm already rethinking. Isaac wanted a fucking preview of it before we talk about it. I'm going to get to it, Isaac. Isaac. Just wait. You hold. But first, the long anticipated, there was rumors, there was rumblings <laughs> in the Ringer staff and Slack, and I saw you out like reporting it. And uh, just a killer piece about... Uh, NBA defenses and the difficulty of playing at that side of the court in an offensive fucking explosion that we've experienced so far. As Draymond and a lot of people have pointed out, nobody's playing defense right now. And it's sort of reverberated across the league and you talk to a whole bunch of people about it. Yeah, uh, I think I, I thought of the thesis of the piece a couple months ago just because not only because of the way the league was going, offense was obviously up before the season, but also in the playoffs, it seemed like Things were getting to the point where the playoffs were a different game, which is kind of a cliche we say every year, but specifically on the de- defensive end where things that would work for a game or two probably wouldn't work in like the third game simply because teams adjust. And right. There are just so many options. You can't really stop everything. Uh, and then it got to the point this season where everything exploded. And I guess the timing just kind of aligned. So there's so many there's so many parts of the story that I want to get into, but uh, I want to start with the switch everything idea. Uh, Houston obviously did that last season. They basically were like, hey, look, if you can get uh, your big on one of our guards, like we'll take that because uh, the post is a lower percentage play point per possession. And, you know, we'll take that trade off. It's been less advantageous, that strategy for them this season. Mm-hmm. Mike D'Antoni was trying to explain it. He was on Zach Lowe's podcast and he was saying, look, we basically looked at it as like matching up with the Warriors, that if you don't switch everything against the Warriors, you're fucked. Like mm-hmm. you're automatically crushed. Switching everything against the Warriors could potentially give you a shot. Right, it did. Yeah. They took them to seven games, and they've had probably the best shot at them since their run. Maybe that that Thunder team when Durant was still on there, but uh, they were just as—they hung with them. They weren't just as good, but they they hung with them. But then this year, that strategy, they were deploying and employing it again— and uh, it's worked out less well for them. D'Antoni had said at some point that he had thought about, like, I don't know, maybe we need to go back to the drawing board on this defense here. And the a quote that you had in the story that I think, like, really underscored that point well was P.J. Tucker talking about it being like, basically, you, he asked, you have to, when you're switching all the time, you're running a full diagnostic test on the fly about, can the guard get through the screen? What's the matchup? Because you don't want to end up with CP on somebody like Anthony Davis. And are you physical enough to play through those switches? And, you know, can you send the double team from the baseline? Do they have shooters on the floor? And there's all these things that you have to calculate when you're playing a defense like that, that maybe, uh, you know, makes it more difficult. Yeah, and I think one of the big things with that is it's not only perhaps a personnel issue with the Rockets this year. They've obviously been injured a lot, and they're trying to work guys in that weren't within the system. And one of the things that D'Antoni brought up uh, that I hadn't thought about beforehand was just that, like, I guess veteran players are better at switching simply because they have to guard so many different guys yeah. that they're just familiar with all of those guys and also the the kind of tricks that they have under the sleeve. So when they try to slip a pick or when they try to run a veer screen off of a pick, uh, there's just like a lot of thinking involved yes. on a screen. And so 
being having to process that all on the fly if you're a young guy or just not maybe used to your teammates or the guys you're playing can create a lot of diversions and and confusion. But also the two biggest things this year that I guess the Rockets are up against and everybody is up against are one offense is taking off even more so. I think Kevin Pellin had a really good story early on when when I think first three games of the season, and he was essentially saying that efficiency, regardless of any sort of rule adjustments or whatever, efficiency is up. And I think a lot of that's because of not only are there better shooters, but also the middle of the, the floor is obviously exposed. And I think certain teams are taking advantage of it. Bigs are stretching out to the three-point line, and then all of a sudden the paint is wide open. So you're getting higher percentage shots. But the big thing that everyone keeps griping about are obviously the rule reemphasis, which are... yeah. To take away off-ball holding, essentially, pretty much uh, in the post and off of screens. And if you are a team like the Rockets and your whole advantage is to switch, you need the physicality that some of your wings were using to get around and to combat with screens simply because... Uh, that's how you get over like the size of going smaller and losing size in the front court. Yeah, I mean, there's so many wrinkles here. Like uh, for this season, it seems like a perfect storm between, as you said, like the way that offenses are playing and they're playing super fast. Uh, The amount of shooting that tends to be on a floor at any given time. Um, As you said, the rules changes. Like there's uh, so many different, and like the way that the, the, the role of the big man has evolved and changed. Like mm-hmm. you see somebody like JaVale McGee, who all of a sudden uh, has presented his value this season. They're squeezing like, you know, more minutes out of him than, than anybody's gotten out of him in a long time. But um, we, we've seen in previous playoffs, what happens when you're dragging somebody like a Rudy Gobert out away from the basket mm-hmm. and you're putting him in that pick and roll blunder. And now all of a sudden they're less effective because you've got them on the perimeter and you've got them in space. And like, that's not necessarily their ballywick. And then also, so like all of that switching, like you've heard the Lakers and Luke Walton talk about that all season long, that mm-hmm. especially with new players that, like you mentioned, who don't necessarily know each other, who are also young, who once you switch, now you're in a different position guarding a different player and your brain's going and mm-hmm. you're thinking so much. And it's like, these are, it's a lot of things to process. And somehow JaVale is the one that rises above all of that. It, somehow <laughs> it's JaVale. So there's been this undercurrent. There's been little whispers mm. in the NBA writer community about, JaVale as in like as an early defensive player of the year candidate and I'm like that's so crazy and then I'm like ah maybe not crazy crazy right yeah the apparently the the defensive numbers just crater when he's off the floor I still want to see just even a competent backup center that comes in behind him because yeah. maybe the, the cratering is more to the fact that uh, Zubach is coming in and taking his minutes all of a sudden or you're playing uh, Kuzma small at the five or right. you're playing LeBron to just suck up a couple of minutes at the five like they have no and which is why obviously they go out and get a Tyson Chandler like I don't know how many minutes they can squeeze out of him 15 or 20 if they're if they're absolutely lucky but right. yeah, I would like to see what happens if you have somebody who could like spell him for a second and what would that defense look like? Yeah, and and to your point, I think it does show the value of rim protection even though we are all stretched out and we're at the point where a team like the Rockets can run uh, pretty much P.J. Tucker as their yeah. five, as their yeah. de facto five. And Draymond Green, obviously, is is kind of the, the godfather of that. Um, it just shows that there still is that value because the, the the space at the rim is still high value. It's like still a still a, like a, a territory to be prospected. And you've seen the Pelicans when they were really taking off earlier in the season. They weren't a particularly good three-point shooting team. They have some shooters, but right. they push the pace and then they would just jam it down your throat at the rim. And if you look at their success, even after Boogie went down and, and this season when AD was healthy, I don't know if he's still healthy, 
they're getting a lot of shots at the rim. And I still, so there's that kind of, there's kind of that tension there where you, you think that everything is about three pointers and it is because that's, that creates the space. But at the same time, there still is a lot to be mined from inside in the basket. It's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's basketball, right? And it's like, we all, we all love it and we get like super into the minutia and the numbers and whatnot. But it's, it's crazy to think about like all of the different components that go into, you know, affecting these scores and the way that defenses are deployed and how offenses are attacking. And I wonder like, so you, you spent all this time talking to all these different people. Is there a feeling across the league that like, we're through the looking glass now that there's no going back, that there won't be a regression and a correction to increased or better defense. And we're just going to be playing all these games in the high hun- or the, you know, in the hundreds. Yeah. I think most people expect some of the foul uh, rates that we've seen early on to, to dip a little bit. Right. Uh, I think it will still end up being uh, a high for this era. Uh, simply because they're, as Kiki Vandaway said when I talked to him for the story, uh, their whole mission was to call more fouls off the ball, and they've done that thus far. Uh, another Kevin Pelton's stat was just that uh, foul rates tend to decrease as the season goes on. I think officials like to send a message, right? Early. Points of emphasis early right. on, right? Yeah, and then and then everybody adjusts, the players adjust, the, even the officials adjust, and so we might see um, something adjust there, but. I mean, it's it's tough to see offenses really tapering off here. Um, I could definitely see a thing where 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 defense kind of uh, they just catches up to a certain extent. But one of the things I touched on in the piece is just that it's no longer dictating pay, like play. Yeah. Uh, simply because a lot of it is you have so many choices to make. It's tough to really leave something open because you have five shooters on the floor now and someone is going to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, most teams are in the same boat. Like, if you look at, I like to, you know, check in with local media uh, and see what what sure. people are complaining about in, like, their little provinces. The local news, yeah. Yeah, I like to, <laughs> right, it's it's always it's always good. Um, with the exception of, say, like, the Celtics and the Bucks and, like, the Nuggets have been a surprisingly good defensive team so far. Um, pretty much the complaint across the board when you look at local fan bases and local media is like, ah, they're not playing any defense this year. Like, everybody's pretty much in the same boat. Uh, last question for you on this one. Do you like it? Do you uh, like this? I think I do to a certain extent. I mean, I kind of hit on it in the piece. It's just who's going to complain about more points. Yeah. And it's funny because Zach Cram has a story about Steph Curry uh, shooting at the rate that he was in 2015-16 where he, when he won unanimous MVP. Mm-hmm. And I went back and looked at some highlights from that era. It's even kind of boring for recent history because in comparison to now where everybody is getting yeah. dunks at the rim and everybody's shooting threes and taking shots from like three feet out from the three-point line, it was kind of tame in comparison. And so I do wonder if this is is kind of a blip in history where we won't really think about this point of emphasis that allowed for a couple more points per game. We'll think more about it as an exciting era. Yeah, I like, I mean, just from a product consumption entertainment standpoint, which is really like, Like, even though we all, again, really like the numbers and the strategy and all that stuff, ultimately for me, I'm watching basketball every night. Mm -hmm. Am I enjoying it or not? And right now, yeah. I mean, like, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, the league is at what? Probably it's it's best place in a very long time yeah. and while warriors uh, exceptionalism aside <laughs> right but even still it seems like ratings are up every year even though the warriors are just kind of romping to the finals whereas 
Uh, the NFL, obviously, still the most popular sports league. But like, I wonder if this is a conscious play to like, you know, go the opposite direction of of the violence that is perhaps turning people off. Yeah, I just say, you know, just put points on the board for me and entertain me, and I'm happy. Uh, all right, so uh, that's enough defense talk. We do, we also did, and you stewarded this along with uh, Danny Chow, a group post about a real or not real early season storylines, and we all like put in our different opinions. So let's go through what you and I did mm-hmm. because we just put this post up and you walked in and I said, I want to go through these because th- I'm already rethinking a bunch of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, days later, I- I've-, I've decided to reverse positions. Um, I believe in my convictions. So you're going to, you're going to stick I'm, with I'm yours. With I like this. All right. Uh, the first one we had was the Kings are good. You and I both had not real. Yeah. I still think that's the case. I think they're fun. <laughs> And I think more importantly, they have an identity, mm-hmm. which they haven't had in the decade or so of lottery picks that they've been uh, they've compiled a historic rate. I, I mean, they're fast. I think when I looked it up, they were second in pace, which considering the age we're playing in uh, was like second since the turn of the century because like the top eight teams in pace since the turn of the century are all this year. Uh, and so it plays to their strength. The Aaron Fox looks legitimate. And, but yeah, my- Aaron Fox looks good. I think he might be a fringe all-star in the future. Interesting. Uh, he definitely has something to him, and his shot is coming along, and that was the big issue with him. I know you talked to him last year a, a little bit about that. Uh, they're still not shooting threes overall. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich still isn't back, so yeah. maybe that will help a little bit. And they're what not playing think, defense. What do you think happens with Heald when Bogdanovich comes back? I assume that they'll play together. If they recognize that their only way of winning is to just really just run it and then just shoot as many threes as possible, I could definitely see a Fox healed Bogdanovich starting kind of wing rotation. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah. I'd like to see how that looks. It's uh, yeah, I, I think like the kid. This is a nice story for the Kings. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I expect them to fall out of the playoff picture. Right now, they're the only team in the Western Conference with a winning record with an upside down point differential. Uh, I just look at it and go, they're still the kid, and also. Do they want to win right now? Like ultimately, I guess this year. Who has their pick? Yes, no, right, the right. Yeah. Well, potentially, unless it's number one, and then it goes to the Sixers. Right. Let's not let's not rule out those ping pong balls, Justin. Uh, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter for them this year. Yeah, and they seem to have picked certain guys too, which they hadn't done in the past. Last year was let's play everybody, including mm-hmm. Zach Randolph and George Hill. And now it's like <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. They're not even playing Scal. They're not really playing Harry Giles. Bagley is coming off. Harry the bench. Giles preseason darling. I know. Harry Childs. That was a bad one for the the Ringer staff. But um, yeah, it it just seems like everything is a little bit more clear there, which makes sense because they have, yet again, a decade's worth of top talent on their roster, should have. Uh, All right, next one. Uh, The Bucks are bad. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The Rockets are bad. (laughs) The Bucks are definitely not bad. The The Bucks are very good. We'll get to the Bucks in a second. Uh, The next one was the Rockets are bad, and we both had not real. Yeah, my, um, my contention there was just that Everything about this team uh, relies on their three best guys now. It's Harden, Paul, and mm-hmm. Clint Capella. They're way more top-heavy heavy than they were last year where they kind of went six or seven deep with quality guys. Now it's really three and P.J. Tucker, and then I'm, I, can, I can't even struggle to come up with their fifth best player. It might even be James Ennis, who's not good. It's not mellow. <laughs> no, I was thinking. No, no, I was. I was like searching my memory for who, would, who would be that guy, and you're right. Like, it's probably Eric Gordon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's hurt. And like, so 
this is all to say that like we, if you build a top-heavy team and Chris Paul is out with suspension and James Harden is hurt, I really want to see them working with all three of those guys to really get an accurate assessment of to, who they are. To their defense from earlier, I mean, like, do we expect that? Because, you know, there's been a lot. The easy reflexive thing is to go, hey, you know, you lose Ariza. Hey, you lose Bamute. And, you you know, you have some issues now, right, mm-hmm. defensively. Um, I still think, like— I'm hopeful for the Rockets. I think the Rockets will figure this thing out. Yeah, and they just got Jeff Bezelik back today. which It's, it's the answer. It's the key. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much a, a defensive coach coming midseason to mm-hmm. save them will help, but uh, maybe it will make a difference. Uh, I'm generally hopeful, though I could see them at a point where they have to do like a Cavs little level blow it up midseason, not necessarily to their, uh, their core trio, but some of their Rebuild reserve. on the fly. Yeah, restructure just, on the fly. They don't have a lot of quality players. And, and as we said before, that was kind of one of their advantages, especially against a team like the Warriors, who even during the playoffs came off as like they had four or five guys, but they were constantly cycling through that center position. And like, yeah. was Nick Young going to give them some minutes because Steph wasn't totally like healthy? So I, I think it matters more than you think. So I could see them doing something to like kind of support their uh, or to rejigger their supporting cast. All right, next one. The Bucks are the best team in the East. We both had not real. I saw the best team in the East mm. uh, on Sunday right here in Los Angeles. Didn't even have Kawhi Leonard. Holy shit, Justin. Are they like, it, it really reinforces when you, don't have a Kawhi out there, how deep they are. Mm-hmm. They can throw so many. And Divine talked about this in one of his many uh, posts after coming on. Shouts to uh, Ringer staffer Dan Divine, who's killing it. But like, there's so many different lineups that they can throw at you. And Siakam's playing better. And Anobi looks better. And Kyle Lowry has been efficient as hell and killing it. And yo, Abaka has been. A killer. He had a career high thirty four points again, and then like matchup wise, and you mentioned this, like uh, the Lakers are frequently smaller and not as good as shooters as the other team, which presents problems. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you're gonna put smaller players on the floor, you generally want them to <laughs> add the advantage of like a three pointer, right? Quickness and and shooting, and right. that hasn't always been the case. But my whole point here is. The Raptors are legit, like, so real. Yeah, they are everything that I think the Lakers aspire to be, which makes the whole, like, Kawhi thing especially interesting. Mm. Uh, it's, it's just, they they go deep, yes, they could switch, and they don't really sacrifice size. I mean, Leonard and, and OG and Anobi are pretty much, they can guard anybody on the wing, and we talked about switching. Like, those are killers uh, yeah. on defense, and they've somehow like struck on all these late round draft picks when you have a guy like Siakam who was already playing steady minutes was already yeah. getting reps against LeBron James in a like critical playoff series didn't do particularly well at the time but now all of a sudden he's like blooming and now I I can't think of a player on their roster that's like outright bad no which I is mean, tough. You, you have a guy like Jonas who you go oh well, we can throw him at a, a large body in certain matchups, and mm-hmm. if we need him for like 15 to 20 minutes in a certain situation as a specialist, uh, we can use him. And he's a guy who they had super high hopes for now is just this really good, useful role player in certain situations. Yeah, like, and and the Bucks are really good. We shouldn't discount them. This was a question about the Bucks. <laughs> yes. The Bucks are excellent. Yeah, I, I think my concern with the Bucks is, yeah, they even beat the Raptors when both Giannis and Kawhi were sitting, but I do wonder in a playoff series if they have un- so many guys that you can kind of like not worry about. Like guys like Bledsoe, Brogdon, even Brooke Lopez, like are those guys really going to kill you in a playoff series? Right. Whereas the Raptors, as we mentioned, can go 
very deep, but even their their core five is as good as probably the top three teams in the league. Yeah, and I like w- with Giannis obviously and Chris Middleton, who I think is like one of the most underrated players in the league. They have two really excellent top tier players. But yes, to your point, uh, depth wise, I, I don't think it's close with the Raptors. Okay, next one. Real or not real, the Nuggets are the second best team in the West. We both picked not real. Reconsider. <laughs> oh, really? For me. This is a reconsider huh. for me. I Initially, my whole thought was the way that the question was asked, I'm picking the Nuggets against the field. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me not to pick the Nuggets right now. Like, First of all, they've got nine players under 23 years old. Mm. They're the second youngest team in the NBA. They're playing out of their heads. The Joker looks fantastic. They're going to be an issue for a second. Yeah, and they've definitely shown like how valuable Paul Millsap is, even though offensively he's like kind of non-existent at times. Mm-hmm. But the the numbers with him on the floor versus with him off the floor are incredible. He's he's essentially the JaVale McGee uh, of the mountains. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm not totally sold yet. I, I think I don't. What's your reservation? I think Jokic. It takes a lot of imagination to to picture him as like your go-to the number crunched. one. Yeah, all the way. Superstar yeah. killer in a certain situation, and maybe that's just my own like blind spot because I because he is such a like unique unicorn. Even with, he's like a subset within the unicorns, right? Just like I unique don't really get, even as unicorns go. Yeah, exactly. And and also like Jamal Murray, pretty erratic. And he if, is. And if those guys aren't your guys, then like it's kind of like I don't know where you're turning to. I like the length. I like the switchability. That Will Barton isn't even playing for them right, right now. They're going to add him back in, and he's also another guy like a Chris Middleton who's super underrated on the wing that you could do a lot of different things with. I, I just have been pleasantly surprised uh, with the Nuggets and how consistent they've been. Uh, like, just putting it on everybody. I mean, like, I every, every time they go out there, I'm like, okay, this could be a tough spot for them. Mm-hmm. And then they've just acquitted themselves really well. And it's at some point, you have to believe what's in front of you. And what I've seen is them winning every night. Yeah. I still have hope for the Jazz. I think that they, I do too. they've fallen on some some tough times to start with, but the schedule has been a little hard. Same thing happened last year with Go, Gobert. was hurt, though, last yeah. year twice. The mm-hmm. second time he came back, they really like supercharged it. And also, Rubio is like a... He's an inconsistent player to begin with, mm-hmm. but he tends to be uh, super inconsistent and slow to start. Mm. Ingles has been a little slow so yeah. far, but I'm with you. I, th- I think they could get off to uh, fixing that. Mm-hmm. All right, next one here. Real or not real, Luca has been the most impressive rookie we both had real. Yeah, I saw him in person when he played against the Lakers uh, last week. It's just like a calm to his game that I think is impressive. And I think even statistically, he's on, he's at like historic like numbers. I, I forgot what it was that he has. I think it's like 19, 6, and yeah, 4. Yeah. And it was just, I think there was like six players in history or seven players in history that have had those sort of numbers. And it was like all Hall of Famers. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and he's shooting threes, which those guys didn't do. And he, at, at that time, I think he was shooting around 40%. There's just, he has a command of the court that's uh, kind of beyond his years. Uh, and I think when DeAndre Jordan allows him to get rebounds, I, I think he's a complete player. What you just said about the calm to his game, initially when I was watching him in the preseason and early and even like, you know, watching YouTube stuff from when he was playing in Europe, I took the calm as 
sort of slow or considered mm-hmm. or like he is a little doughy and like he is all, that, all of that like kind of like fucks with my brain yeah and then i look at him playing i'm like oh the results are great mm-hmm. like he gets to a spot it doesn't look like he's not going to be able to but he does mm-hmm. he's a good passer he's sh- as you said he's shooting the three and like i look at it at him athletically and and like it's hard for my brain to reconcile like what I'm seeing and then like the information that I'm getting stat wise later mm-hmm. but it all sort of works and he just makes these crafty plays and it's it's been fun to watch yeah he makes an appropriate successor to Dirk because he has yeah. that yeah. sort of like yeah, yeah, cerebral yeah. like yep. I don't know how he gets the space but he gets 100%. it game. yeah dad game I'm really on it uh, last one for you real or not real LeBron will finish out of the playoffs we both had not real Although, like, I'm wavering. Or you wavering. said not, not real. Like. Yeah, I'm wavering on this one. I, I think that they will. I think LeBron Trump card, as I think I believe you kind of brought up, is yeah. it's really hard to argue with. Uh, at the same time, I just think it's not going to get any easier from here. Like, not only did they not do themselves any sort of advantages by, like, getting ahead in the schedule or ahead of the standings. They're, what, four and six yeah. right now, so they have to dig themselves out of a hole. But, like, playing at this pace... Having smaller guys guard bigger guys, having LeBron and Rondo and McGee and Lance, these kind of veteran guys, uh, put up a lot of miles at a high pace. Like those things start to add up, and if yeah. LeBron is going to keep coasting for the next month or two, like he typically does, like I, I think they're going to get into some trouble. On a back to back, fighting back into a game where they're getting blown out, mm-hmm. didn't come back into the game, and Luke was asked about they they cut it to like they were getting blown out obviously by the Raptors, and then all of a sudden like they did what teams do and they, you know, emptied the bench and they went on a run and they got it close enough where I was like waiting for them to check LeBron back in. And I Mm -hmm. think they had it to like 10 with two left. And you're like, this is not out of the realm of possibility. Didn't check him back in. So, yeah, I mean, you do have, he has a lot of miles on him. Yeah. Um, So I understand that component for me. Yeah. It goes back to the LeBron Trump card, right? Where he hasn't missed the playoffs since the 2004-05 season, which was his second season in the league. He was 20 years old. He's 33. He's going to be 34 in December. He just makes the playoffs. Yeah, but at the same time, like, you saw what happened when they lost Brandon Ingram. Like, they're really, they're deep in terms of, like, of averageness. They have a lot of average guys, so maybe that's enough, and maybe, like, a Tyson Chandler midseason edition, like, these type of guys will come in and and help play some minutes. I'm smirking as you say Tyson Chandler because I'm like, oh, is that is that going to be what buoys them? If JaVale is now, like, I, I believe anything. Why not? Yeah, it's, but it's just like, if they start to lose some of these guys, I, I don't know. It's going to be a lot tougher than I think anybody thought from the outset. I am prepared mentally for LeBron not to be in the finals for the first time in quite some time. Mm-hmm. I'm not prepared mentally for him to miss the playoffs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my prediction on that way and say he makes it. Uh, Justin Barrier, you can read his excellent defensive piece. On the ringer.com, you can listen to him on Thursdays on group chat. Do you have uh, any other massive projects in the works that we need to know about? Mm, I am looking for uh, some furniture for my apartment. So that is a big undertaking. Tips. <laughs> <laughs> Get it, Justin, on Twitter if you do. Barrier, thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Justin Varrier. I can't believe Isaac. I had a whole thing about his piece that I wanted to talk to him about, and yeah. and I forgot to mention the greatest thing in his piece. And it was a very excellent story. I keep saying this, but it's true. The greatest thing in his piece was a quote given by David Griffin about his time when he was in Phoenix. I have to read this quote. Can we just fit Go this ahead. in here? Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna read yeah. This I was wondering where you're going to get to. I, it. I'm going to yeah. read this quote. So David Griffin, when he was uh, the Suns' former vice president of basketball ops gave this quote about Jerry Colangelo. And, I, and he said, 
We had a built-in advantage because Jerry Colangelo was the chairman of the board. We knew from the very beginning what was likely to come about, so we were able to plan for longer than anybody else. If you told Daryl Morey right now that three years from now the cap is going to be a number that only he knows, Houston's going to have a pretty big advantage, we were able to build a team that's pretty ahead of the curve, basically saying Jerry Colangelo was insider trading. Woof. Amazing. Incredible quote. I can't believe he actually said that on the record. He said it on the record. I can't believe I forgot to bring it up. Uh, <laughs> it was great. And it's been the talk of the league. I can't tell you how many different people from executives to agents to players that I've talked to media members that have been like, oh, did you see that quote? Mm. Very interesting. Great uh, scoop by Varrier. Great scoop by Varrier. Check that out. Next up, Haley O'Shaughnessy. All right, joining me in the studio, staff writer extraordinaire Haley O'Shaughnessy. You can listen to her on group chat, read all her excellent stuff. Saw you on Sunday night at the Lakers Raptors. It was like ringer night out. It was you, me, and Palo Esco blog. It was a fun night for us. Not so fun for the Lakers. <laughs> Less fun for them. But so I saw you and I said, Haley, you've been killing it. You've written a bunch of really excellent stories for The Ringer. We have a lot of wonderful content on The Ringer, period. But you, in particular, have been on a fantastic run, beginning with your Hassan Whiteside story, which we already talked about in the, in the past. But we're going to just run through some of the stories that you've done recently. Man, you're making me blush all over again. I'm not lying. This isn't just me pumping you up to pump you up. They're really good. I recommend everybody go and read these things. How much is Chris Ryan paying you? All of the money. I make so much money for the—I parked my Benz in the parking garage. <laughs> Chris I, Ryan has Benz money? I've, I value. It was amazing. So Derek Rose had 50-point game last week in a win over the Jazz, and there was this rush to pump up Derek Rose. It was a redemption story, and a lot of other media outlets did not mention some of the more problematic things that have happened in Derek Rose's past. You, however, did make mention in uh, 2016 of Rose, then a part of the Knicks facing a civil trial for sexual battery and other claims for an alleged incident in 2013. And like I said, there were just a, a ton of stories around the NBA and the, and the greater NBA community that just sort of skipped over completely or glossed over that component. And I wonder why that is. Like, I wonder why we sometimes skip that stuff. <laughs> I think that maybe for some people, it's not quite as uncomfortable to skip over, if that makes sense. It's something that is obviously— Like, like just focus on the basketball. We'll just look at the numbers sure, and the storylines, right? And the Minnesota broadcast. I think that there is definitely this idea now in 2018 that you have to mention it. And they did after the game, but it was a very messy way of mentioning it. They kind of said in passing that he had some off-the-court struggles and that I think Jim Peterson, the Wolves broadcaster, said that he's no judge or jury. But there is this need now, I think, that people think they need to address it. But I would also say that maybe if you're not qualified to address it, you shouldn't. But with that being said, in a written piece, I don't think it's okay to gloss over something that is part of his comeback. Because he's very much still coming back from that, even if—we we often paint comebacks as positive things. Right. And he has his knee injuries, everything he's gone through, but you can't just ignore that he's also coming back from a stain on his resume as well. Yeah, I I think that there has been, maybe now in 2018, with like the cultural and societal shift towards— me too, and talking about these things and like really discussing them. There's been more of a willingness to discuss certain topics that can be uncomfortable and that people had previously glossed over. Like for years and years and years and years, and still really say with Kobe, that was never part of the narrative. Like well, people and now just still, didn't even he's, it's bring it up. cemented in history because 
it wasn't addressed the same at the time. And so now when you think about Kobe, when we talk about Kobe, it doesn't come up. And yeah. that's often something that, I mean, even the replies to this piece that- Yeah, uh, what kind of feedback game, did you get that? You know, honestly, my inbox was filled with people who were really upset with me. And then it was also filled with sexual assault survivors. Yeah. So it was a completely bit of different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And maybe a lot of this is like what Peterson was saying on the broadcast is kind of performative. We know we have to address it now or you'll get in trouble. Right. But that's still not really doing the job. Felt like obligatory and we're going to, you know, touch on this because you— Because we have to. We'll get criticized if we don't. There's an expectation, but then immediately let's just pivot to, hey, he scored 50 points and isn't that cool? Right, right. And then it's interesting because, I mean, honestly, when Danny Chow, who's editing me for this piece, when we were talking about it, we thought, okay— if he is going to continue to be relevant for the Wolves at this level, obviously not the level of a 50-point game every night or even probably for the rest of the season or however long he stays on, you're going to have to figure out a way to cover him. And I think that that's where it's just important to provide context. Well, you did an excellent job of that. I highly recommend everybody reads the Derrick Rose piece. want to talk about some of the other pieces also that you wrote about. You wrote about DeMar DeRozan as a potential MVP dark horse. This is far more fun to write about. We had to address all of these stories. DeMar has has been such a joy for me this season. So I didn't anticipate liking DeMar as much as I have so far, and I didn't anticipate the San Antonio Spurs with DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Aldridge at the center getting off to uh, an over 500 start. They're 6-3 and at the time of this recording. And DeMar's played well. He's. It's interesting because in the past, I think that maybe just because of what the Raptors needed from him and kind of wanted from a franchise player um, in terms of like being an efficient shooter, they're trying to push their uh, offense into a, a more modern offense that shoots threes and has their most important player capable of shooting threes. And we saw that last year. It's. It was kind of frustrating to watch him in that because he's the guy who keeps pulling up from the mid-range. He's not a super efficient scorer in terms of he's making the basket that's most likely to go in. But, I mean, on San Antonio, it's just, like, thrilling again. It makes me think of, like, when I, you know, when my dad and I would start watching basketball, everyone was pulling up from mid-range. It's just exciting, yeah. Well, I love the Pops just like, yeah, you know, if you're going to zig and we decide to zag, so what? His quote was, you don't take threes just because somebody else takes threes. Uh, And they've basically given DeMar license to be DeMar. Like, just play your game, and we'll figure out how it works out. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. In fact, he had uh, a couple of big shots this year when he gave a quote that was, I wasn't going to miss a big shot later in the game, and I didn't. And you called him a hero for that, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. Um, As outside— Well, no, so this is how the game ended. He took a mid-range shot to end regulation. Right. Well, not to end regulation, but he could have won the game. They were ahead at that time, and then it was evened up, had to go into overtime. So he takes that shot, and he misses. And then that's where that quote came into his mind. He was like, well, if I'm going to take it again, I'm not going to miss it. So then he takes a similar shot in overtime, but he wins it. I mean— You got to respect that confidence. Everything about DeMar's game, I don't want to like. (laughs) And I don't want to like the Spurs— Apologies to Shea Serrano. I don't want to like the Spurs in the like 
because of the brand of basketball that they're playing. Like, it's a little weird for me to watch this team just like, you know, play in the mid range and play defense and whatever, especially when it wasn't that long ago that they sort of like jump started to move the ball around, whip it around the perimeter, you know, take great shots, shoot a lot of threes. Like they, they're at the forefront of that when they were challenging for championships and winning them. And now all of a sudden it's sort of like regressed a little bit and it's somehow working. And that's why when I saw your DeMar as an MVP dark horse candidate, I knew what you were doing, and I was like, it, none of this makes any sense. This I whole season doesn't make any, make any it sense. It kind of does make sense in the sense that DeMar is not directly pushing the Spurs to a modern offense, but he is indirectly because now he's using those playmaking skills that he did show in Toronto last year, but to such a higher degree. And what that does is it opens up their players on the perimeter. Pop knows that he has to shoot threes, but he's also shooting like they're creating some of the best shots. And, like, they are still getting to the line. It is as efficient as an inefficient shooting team can be, if that makes sense. And so that's why he's he's definitely someone that's going to be fun to cheer for. Even though, I I mean, it's—when I say dark horse, I mean that he is a dark horse or could be a dark horse candidate that we're not just saying he could be a dark horse candidate. He actually could be because he's always the guy who we're like, well, wouldn't that be fun? He has the potential to maybe probably— sometime if he keeps us up be a dark horse but this year maybe we can just cut out all those adjectives i took dark horse to mean he has no shot but it's fun to think about right that's how i'm taking it right all right next one you did a piece about Embiid. Embiid had said for those who are uninitiated he had played against andre drummond they have a long history together he had said that he owns real estate in andre drummond's head which was a, which is just such an amazing quote. It's such an Embiid quote. It's such an Embiid thing to say. Uh, and then recently he played Andre Drummond again. And afterwards he put on uh, Instagram mood and it was like dancing around and enjoying himself after <laughs> Andre Drummond. But you took that thing and you just ran with it. And I thought it was such a fun idea. You basically did like a Zillow tour through the NBA of all the real estate that Embiid owns in various players' heads. And I just outlined a couple of them here and we'll go through them. You have him owning a penthouse suite and Hassan Whiteside's cerebral. Okay, my favorite thing that he's ever said to Whiteside was, your plus minus was ass. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Embiid. It's very Embiid. Uh, I love how much he talks. Like I saw him over the summer when he was out here in Los Angeles getting in work with a bunch of those guys that uh, they all have the same trainer. So Jason Tatum was there and Clarkson and Myers Leonard. And bless Myers Leonard's heart, Myers Leonard likes to talk a little bit and he likes to compete and he's, but he's Myers Leonard and he's not Joel Embiid and Joel Embiid just whipped him up and down the court all day long. And it was like he was playing in the playoffs. Like he loves to talk even in a gym where nobody's watching in the summer in a pickup game that doesn't count. I don't think people that talk like Joel does can control it. Can't. Yeah. Look at his, I mean, if. I would love to play like dominoes with him. If his social, you, you play dominoes? Well, I would with Joel Embiid. Oh, you would learn. Okay, all right. <laughs> I would like to play spades or something like that. But, but it just like if if uh, his social media is any reflection of like what's happening with him, you know, when the cameras are off and we don't see him, like, yeah, he can't turn it off. He's he, And that's part well, of what makes him amazing. he chooses not to turn it off. You chooses know? Like, not to. Yeah, I mean, everything like on his Instagram. And granted, that is, you're choosing what you put out there. But I just have, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. 
I love he's it. so blunt about everything. Even when, even with the Colangelo situation, like he just completely addressed it. Yeah. I mean, he, he has no fear. He doesn't shy away from things. He goes directly towards them. Another one that you had, you have him uh, owning a townhouse in Cat's temporal lobe. <laughs> well, I think this is almost unfair because and this is probably one of the most one-sided ones of on the entire list because Cat has never done anything against Embiid comparable to what Embiid's done to Cat. I like that. But Cat yeah. um I think like that's the kind of player that would mess with Cat a little bit. I mean, he's Cat basically has a version of Joel Embiid on his own team that he's dealing with in Jimmy Butler, right? Like he's got sure. a guy who's yapping at him all the time and like And he's not very responsive. He doesn't to really it. deal with that great. So I could see how that would get to him. All right, last one before we move on to the next one. Uh a haunted house in Russ's prefrontal cortex. I think of all the players that he that are on this list that he's been shit talking to for some time, Russ is probably the most mentally on his level. Oh, yeah. Intensity-wise. They're great for each other. Everything he ever did during the stint after Kevin Durant, mm -hmm. from the like photography outfit to the cupcake mention, some yeah. of it was so deep that I was wondering if we were making it up. But I don't think we're making it up. And that's a compliment to Russell Westbrook. Uh, one more, one more about uh, Embiid and the real estate he owns. You have him owning two bedrooms in an up-and-coming neighborhood in rookies DeAndre Ayton and Mo Bomba's cerebellums, which I thought was great. Uh, you're putting them on notice. Get ready. He's moving into your neighborhood. I think that for these ones, I'm almost worried it's not going to materialize into anything because they need to get better first. Yeah. I'm I not mean, saying they're not good. They're, it's, it's, we're like 10 games in here. They got to give them a second. They're going to exactly. be fine. Yeah. I like, I like both of those guys. I think they're going to be fine. All right. Uh, last thing I wanted to discuss with you you did a story about what it takes to be a good teammate for LeBron James. I think this is entertaining. It's funny. Uh, and it's also... Uh, this was so much fun to report. Also of a moment right now because the Lakers could use a little advice. So one of the things that we have here, uh, I just took out a, a couple. I won't, I won't go through all of them. I, I would encourage everybody to go and read it on TheRinger.com. But a couple of the ones that I liked. Be a Dwayne, not a Dion. This quote was amazing when Haywood said it to me. Is Okay, so I talked to Brendan Haywood, mm -hmm. Carlos Boozer, and Richard Jefferson. So Brendan Haywood only played with LeBron in 2014-15. He was in Cleveland, but he only played like 22 games, and he averaged like five minutes. But he's been around so long that he's actually talked to other people throughout his career. Mm -hmm. So Be a Dwayne, not a Dion was him basically telling Dion Waiters, look— you are used to having the ball in your hands a lot, but it's not going to be your team anymore now that LeBron's back. It's going, you're going to have to figure out how to play with him, how to play with Kyrie, how to play with Kevin Love. And the direct quote is, and he didn't, and he didn't really want to hear that. And that's part of why he was traded very early in the season. And uh. when he said that, I gasped. I was like, I can't believe you would really say that to me. But he also said that when he was with the Mavericks, he talked to Dwayne Wade, and obviously LeBron was with the Heat then. It was after they lost the Mavericks. And Wade was like, well, I'm going to have to change my game. Like, that's the only way we're going to win. And so what he's saying is, be a Dwayne, not a Dion. I like it. Uh, sometimes you have to say no to Rihanna. This is also Haywood, who is a great interview. He's a great quote. <laughs> he's on uh, Sirius NBA yeah, I would all the time, listen. and he's hilarious. He's very funny. But he said, you have to understand that there's a time to have fun and party and play, and there's a time to be serious. You have to understand that you might be invited to a party that Rihanna's at, but you can't go because you guys have a back-to-back -back coming up. Now, I'm not an NBA player, but I might argue against him 
You would go to the to see Rihanna. I mean, oh, if Rihanna's at a party, there's going to be plenty Rihanna. of back to backs in your future. <laughs> How many times do you get to go and party with Rihanna? Although I will say that this is another thing that they mentioned is all the additional media and scrutiny and everything, and everyone's going to know that you went to that party, and then that's probably leading to you getting traded if you're stats aren't and performance are not on par. Good chance of you getting traded anyway. LeBron's teams tend to have a lot of turnover. <laughs> you mentioned the media. The last one I wanted to uh, to bring up about how to be a good teammate for LeBron James. Be prepared for no questions to be about you. This one made me laugh because <laughs> I, as a member of the media, not to say that uh, I don't ask questions of the other players about the other players. I do. But, and that's a big but, all capitals, huge caveat here. When you have a LeBron team, it's always about LeBron. Even the players that, even the questions that are asked about the other players are in context from LeBron. Yeah, it's like, well, I, I'm going to ask about the other players, but it's really only as it relates to LeBron. Which I honestly, I can't blame anyone. So, how do players, or when you were talking to these guys, like, I would imagine that certain players process that better than others. Sure. Um, guys like Kyle Korver and Kevin Love knew what the deal was, and they were cool with it. Uh, guys like Dion Waiters, probably not as cool with it. Probably not. Um, Richard Jefferson was an interesting in the middle, and he's the one who was who even brought that up, and he was saying that you know he'd be asked about LeBron's amazing pass, and he's basically said reporters would just say. So what do you think about that pass? That was amazing, right? And he was like, <laughs> yep. You know, I played with Jason Kidd for many seasons. So I think that that was, it, it's processed differently. I think that probably when you're older, you're used to it a little bit sure. more, even if you hadn't played with him a ton previously, that like, this is what people care about. And if you just acknowledge it and kind of move on, it's going to be a lot easier. Go with the flow. Don't get your back up about it. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Haley O'Shaughnessy, those are excellent pieces. Make sure to read all of those. Uh, how many more do you have coming out this week? Like 12, 15 more pieces? <laughs> You're constantly cranking out content. Is there anything you want to preview and plug? I've got a bunch of drafts in my Twitter, so mm -hmm. look out for those. We're going to be checking those out. my tweets that I've always wanted to send. And listen to group chat on Thursday. And there'll be stories. She's being very secretive right now. I like I like the way that you're playing this. The people will have to go and find your content. You're not giving it away for free I'm here. Doing guy. An and gons. That would not get very many <laughs> clicks. That would be terrible for the website. Uh, but we'll check it out. I want to thank Haley O'Shaughnessy for being on the program. I want to thank Varier and Juliet. I want to uh, encourage everybody to rate and review the NBA show on Apple or wherever you get your uh, fine podcasts. And of course, the NBA show is here every day. We've got Heat Check on Mondays, The Mismatch on Tuesdays, Sources Say on Wednesdays, Group Chat on Thursdays, and Corner 3 on Fridays. Check out all of those. I want to thank everybody. Everybody for listening, gang. We'll be back next Monday. Bye.